0: This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. It's been said that all roads lead to God. And this makes a certain amount of sense. In life, there are a thousand different ways to get where we're going. Winding scenic paths, wide, fast highways. We can walk or ride, drive or fly. Wrong turns and detours may slow us down, but sooner or later, we make it. We get where we want to go. But there is a flaw in this way of thinking. The path to God is no road at all. It is a person. So, the the series is going to be entitled, Is Jesus the Only Way? And today I want to talk specifically about how can I know that Jesus is the way? So of course, the, the, the question comes from that question. How can I know Jesus is the way to where? And obviously, what I'm talking about, it's not so much aware. you could say aware. He's the, is He the way to heaven? But it's, it ultimately, is Jesus the way to get to God? That's what we're going to be talking about through the five weeks of April this year. How can we know that Jesus really is God's answer for our lives? Now, so is Jesus the only way to get to God? This is what Jesus claimed about himself. If you've never heard this before, you need to understand this. Uh, when he was asked one day by his disciples about how to know the way to heaven, this is what Jesus responded to them, John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, that is a very pointed scripture. I mean, it says it directly to you that how do you know how to get to God? How do you know how to get to heaven? Jesus said, I am the way, not a church, not, not a pastor not a religious leader, Jesus, the Son of God, is still alive, we sang about that this morning, and he is the way to get to heaven. Now, what jumps out to me from that verse is what Jesus claims about himself right there. In fact, I will say it's probably the most offensive part of the Christian faith. He didn't say that he was a way, to get to God. He didn't say that he was one of many ways to get to God. What does he say? He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he takes, takes that statement even, a, boy, he just gives it a punch, uh, an exclamation point at the end of that verse. He says, so much so is he the way that no one can come to the Father except through him. THAT'S CALLED EXCLUSIVITY, BEING EXCLUSIVE. AND WHAT THAT MEANS IS THAT JESUS IS CLAIMING EXCLUSIVE RIGHTS AS THE SAVIOR OF MANKIND. WHAT HE'S ALSO CLAIMING IS THAT ANY OTHER SYSTEM OUT THERE THAT CLAIMS TO ALSO BE A WAY TO GET TO GOD IS WRONG, IT'S FALSE, IT IS A LIE. The, the word exclusivity or exclusive means to exclude, obviously, to limit, to restrict. This is part of the Christian faith that, most, that is probably most offensive to some people in our culture today. If Jesus had claimed to be one of several ways to get to God, or one option out of a multitude of options, pick your option, whichever option suits you best, that's the one you should take, and all those roads, all those options will get you to God someday. If Jesus had claimed that, there'd be no problem at all. But the problem is that he claimed to be the only way. And that can be very offensive to a lot of people. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 8, That Jesus is the stone that makes people stumble. If you've ever read that verse and said, what in the world does that mean? This is what it means. This exclusive message that Jesus is the only way causes people to stumble over that. They don't stumble over the birth of Jesus. Everybody likes peace on earth, goodwill to men. People stumble over this, this message, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's the rock that makes them fall. So here we are at a time in human history in America that prizes not exclusivity, but inclusivity. Not being exclusive, but being inclusive above everything else. Here we have a faith claim that claims to be exclusive. Exclusive. And that is offensive to our culture today. And that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 23, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. If you want to be blessed, blessed, if you want the favor of God in your life, you have to understand where that comes from. It doesn't come from a variety of sincere Uh, paths that go, that take you into your deeper spirituality, comes only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, who is the exclusive Savior of all mankind. But the thought that Jesus being the only way, as I said, can be offensive to people, it can be so offensive that he warned in in Luke chapter 21 even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. Why do they hate you? It's because you believe this exclusive message. Some of you in this audience, you obviously haven't been killed because you're here, but some of you in, in this audience today, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about in terms of you, you've been hated. You've They you've been pushed out of your home, you've been do- disowned because you've turned faith not to a religion anymore, but to Jesus. And they don't like that because, for one thing, it brings conviction to them that maybe what they're believing is, in fact, a lie. The Apostle Paul called the truth about Jesus in 1 Corinthians one twenty-three a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So why is is this gospel message so controversial? Well, it's all right here. It's because Jesus claimed to be the one and the only Savior. In fact, he claimed to be more than just a, a Savior. He claimed to be God, God in the flesh, God who is paying the price for our sin. So that's either true or it's not true that he is God. But how you answer that in your heart will have a great effect upon your life, both now and in eternity. Because because what you choose to believe about that will determine not only how your life is lived, but your eternal outcome. But because some people find the gospel message of exclusivity to be offensive, some of them will do everything they can to discredit the message, discredit the gospel, and discredit the teachings of Jesus. So here we are at the Easter, Easter season, the Easter month, a couple of weeks away. What you're going to be seeing uh, on media over the next couple of weeks, probably if this year is like previous years, are going to be a lot of television shows and Internet posts about Jesus. And some of those are going to be good, but most of them will be designed to try to undermine your faith, to try to discredit the idea that Jesus is God's answer to our sin problem, our sin question. Most of them will try to disprove the claims of of our faith in probably one of three ways, or maybe in all three ways. First of all, they will attack the reliability of Scripture. You'll, you'll, see, you'll see shows that attack the reliability of Scripture. In other words, that the Bible truly is the Word of God, and that all of the Bible is truly the Word of God, that it is infallible. That means without mistake in its original form, the way it was originally written by the prophets and the apostles and so forth. It is totally totally accurate and infallible. That will be challenged. It'll, the challenge will be to put a doubt in your mind that if this part of the Bible isn't uh, that you know, do you really think that Noah got all those animals on that boat? Come on. You really think that? You really believe that? You know, come on, Now let's talk about the logistics of how that couldn't happen, you know. And so they'll, put, they'll try to put doubts in your mind. Now, the, the reason for that is because if they can get you to doubt this part, what 's stopping you from doubting this part over here and this part over here, and pretty soon you don 't believe anything you just dis- they 've discredited all of god 's word to you. The second area of attack will probably be uh, the claim of the virgin birth of Christ that are you telling me mary <laughs> Never had a husband before Jesus was born. That that she never had a sexual relationship with Joseph. That Jesus—that's uh, just so. In, that's so incredible. That anybody believe that? They'll 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 attack that. The third area they'll attack is the claim of the resurrection of Jesus. They won't discredit his death because that's pretty easy to prove. But the but the empty grave is the part that they'll because if he's alive, woo. You know, if he's alive, that, that's, that has a heavy implication to everybody in the world. So now obviously the, the issue of the virgin birth is going to be attacked more during the Christmas season, but what I'm trying to get you to see is that anything associated with the miraculous of, of Jesus is going to be attacked or try to be discredited to your life. So I think it's important that we as a church talk about these kinds of things this morning. Is Jesus who he claimed to be? Which includes his claim that he is the the only way to get to God, that he's the only Savior. Now, I will be honest with you and tell you that there's no way I can prove that he is. I cannot put the gospel message under a microscope and say, oh, yeah, there it is, proof. Jesus is the only way to get to God. I can't do that. there is no way for us to, to get faith out of our faith. You know what I'm saying? This walk with Christ is called faith. It's our faith in God. You, you, you will never understand everything. You can't prove scientifically everything about your faith. Some things are taken by faith. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Not by the microscope. We walk by faith. But that doesn't mean that you check your brain in at the door before you walk into the church. It doesn't mean there's, no, there's nothing that you can attach to that would give the sense of faith some credibility to your life. And I have found that to be true in my life, and I want to talk with you today about why I believe that Jesus is the only way to get to God. The first reason I would tell you is because the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus is the only way to get to God. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 puts it this way, There is salvation in no one else under all heaven. There is no other name for men to call upon to save them. Now, that is pretty direct. And a lot of people don't like that because that's exclusive. It's saying that there's no other name. There's only one name. We sang about it this morning. Uh, No other name, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus that last song that we sang in the worship set it was all about Jesus being the only way now you may not Accept the Bible to be God's authentic word and that is your privilege. That's your prerogative You have the right to decide for yourself What you believe to be true or what you believe to not be true But I'm, I'm going to talk to you who are professing Christians here this morning. You need to know that Jesus is more than a savior to you personally. Because I think sometimes in our culture, we're taught so much that everything has value out there. Therefore, Jesus is working for you, but maybe Jesus doesn't work for somebody else. But what God is saying to us is that he is the answer to every single human being and the problem that they have in their separation from God. There is no other name for you to call upon to be saved. The Bible declares that Jesus is God's answer to your sin problem. Now, if you are new to your faith in Christ, you may feel like Jesus is just one amongst many different avenues to take to get to God. But that's just not true. The problem of sin is a human problem, and I want to talk with you for just a minute about this. God didn't sin and then pull away from us. We are the ones who sinned, and we pulled away from him. In fact, it's not just some of us in this room that sinned, it's all of us, and people get offended over that, too. No, you don't have a right to call me a sinner. I don't call you a sinner. God does. <laughs> Romans 3.23, he says, everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory, glorious standard of God. Now, that is very clear. We're all sinners. We did it, not God. And with that sin came a consequence. God also tells us what the consequence is, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. We understand wages, you work, you expect to get paid. You sin, you're going to get paid for it. Here's the paycheck, death. Doesn't matter whether you want it or not, it's automatically deposited into your account. So Paul teaches us in his word that sin brought death into the world. And we all understand that. Probably everyone in this room has lost someone they love uh, to the grave. Uh, That's a part of the process of life. And and even if you you haven't lost someone to physical death, you can look in the mirror and see that you're getting older. No matter what stage you're in, you can see that you are getting older. You know, you may look in the mirror and say, what happened overnight, you know? Uh, I was this beautiful thing when I went to bed, and look at this, oh my word, you know? What happened during that eight hours? I don't know. But that's the effects of this death thing that's going on, and we have to kind of fix it up then in the morning, you know? But, so we understand, we understand death. But there's another kind of death besides just physical death, and really it's the most important kind of death the Bible talks about. It's called in the Bible spiritual death. So here's what I want you to understand. Let me give you a definition. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. That's why God says when a believer dies to be absent from the body, that's the way he's talking about death. When you die, you are now present with the Lord. Your soul separates from your physical body. It will be reunited at the, at the resurrection. When Jesus comes back, we'll get new bodies, glorified bodies, but until then, these bodies will decay until we are reunited and our bodies are, are resurrected, okay? That's what the Bible teaches us. So physical death is a separation of the separation of your soul from your body, which will take place someday. But spiritual death is the separation of your soul from God, not from your body, that's physical death. Spiritual death is your sep- the separation of your soul from God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 17, God tells Adam that if he eats of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden where they're at, he says, You're going to surely die. That means, Adam, you can count on it, it's going to happen. Adam ate the fruit anyway, but he didn't die physically. Not immediately, he didn't. Here's what I want you to understand. The process of his death started immediately. His physical death didn't happen for another number of years. In fact, the Bible tells us that he lived to the ripe old age of 930. So however old he was when he sinned, he had from that point, if he was like 27, he had 903 years left of life. So he didn't die immediately physically. He did, however, die immediately spiritually. In other words, he was separated from the presence of God. Boom, right then is when it happened. He's still walking around the Garden of Eden for another couple of days until God kicks him out. But he's still walking around on planet Earth. So he hasn't died physically, but spiritually something's been lost. The connection's gone separation between him and God. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that in the cool of the evening breezes, when they were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, and they hid from him. They hid from God. That's the first step in the separation process. So their daily custom was in the cool of the evening, God would come and walk with them. He would take upon himself a form that they could identify. He would walk with them in the Garden of Eden and fellowship with them. In other words, he would communicate and commune with them on a very, very deep level, which is what we're hungry for on Wednesday nights. And we're hungry for that every day, but we're going to be praying about that on Wednesday nights. But, uh, but Adam had something that we'll never know until we get to heaven, but he had this, in, this incredible communion going on, he and Eve did, until the time that they, they chose to sin against God. And, 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 that's, and that, at that time, their, their soul was separated from God because that's what sin does. It separates us from God's presence. And if it's not fixed, we will be separated from him for eternity. Okay? And that, folks, is what hell is. Right there. It's separation. The worst part of hell is separation, the separation it brings to us. Now, I remember years ago when I was younger, I I witnessed to one of the friends that I had back then, and I shared Jesus Christ with him, and this is what he said to me. He said, I don't want to go to heaven. He said, I'd rather go to hell because that's where all my friends will be and we'll just have one big party down there have you ever heard that have anybody ever say that to you here's the truth hell is a place of separation not a place of party It's going to be separation from God, certainly. Yes, that's going to take place. But it's also going to be separation from everyone else. That's why Jesus called it outer darkness. In hell, you won't be able to find anybody else. You won't be able to connect with anybody else. Total separation. You're alone, all by yourself, living with your conscience. You don't think that's going to be terrible? That's what hell is. It's a place of torment and terrible aloneness. And that's what sin does to us. It kills us physically, but more importantly, it kills us spiritually. And there's absolutely no way that we can fix ourselves. We can't get out of this dilemma. So God said, I'll get you out. I'll provide the the plan. He came up with the way to bridge the gulf between us and himself. The plan was his son, his son Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect God-man who never sinned one iota. He became the sacrifice. He paid the price for our sin. That was God's plan. It's not the plan that we come up with. It's it's the plan that God came up with. So we don't decide what the plan is and say, oh, this is the plan I like. I'm going to follow this way and that'll get me back to God. God says, no, no, no. God makes the rules. God sets the plan for how to get back to him. And his plan is so incredible that instead of you dying for your sins, he kills his son on a cross. And all we have to do is accept that, that sacrifice, that Sac- that sacrifice made on the cross pays for the penalty, not that Jesus created, not that Jesus did. It pays for my sin. It pays for my penalty. It pays for your sin. It pays your penalty. Religion is nothing more than people making up their own idea about what's the right way to get to God. And it's n- it never works but, because God won't accept it. He provided the plan. He provided the way out. And he did that through Jesus. He died, so we don't have to. And while we still die physically, Jesus said, to, said in John 11:25, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So any funeral we have of a believer in this church, we may have a casket here, but they're not here. They're walking streets of gold. So I will tell you, because I believe the Bible, that I believe Jesus is the only way because the Bible says that Jesus is the only way. Now, I want to give you a couple other reasons, too. I won't go into quite so much detail. Number two, because of changed lives, because of the change that I've seen in people's lives, it, it confirms to me that Jesus is authentically the Savior of the world. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1:16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I see it as the very power of God working for the salvation of everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I want you to know that all over this auditorium this morning are people who once lived separated from God. In fact, I will be so bold as to tell you, because we have all sinned, every single one of us at one time was separated from God. Now. In our separation, some people fell into deeper sin than other people did. So we haven't all done the same things because we were separated, but we've all been separated. Some of the people that are here this morning um, paid a, have paid a heavy price because of the sin that they got into. And so we could have people get up here and talk to you about addictions galore, of all sorts, we could have people come up and talk about marriage failures, people come up and talk about family failures, about depression, about guilt, about fear, on and on and on we could go as a result of the sin that they were involved in. But one day we heard the truth One day, our eyes were opened to see what sin was doing to us and what God was offering to us, and we jumped on the offer that God made. And we humbled ourselves, and we received Jesus Christ into our lives as a personal Savior and Lord. He's not a religion. He's a person. And you know what happened to us when we did that? We were changed from the inside out. It's what the Bible promised all along would happen for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians five seventeen. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Some of the people here could tell you about how some of their friends come up and said to them, what has happened to you? Why are you like this? You're not like you were before. Oh, let me tell you how much I'm not what I was before. Let me tell you about the grace of God. Let me tell you about the freedom that I have received. Religion, religion won't do that for you, only Jesus. It's because Jesus is God's answer to our sin problem. And I see people changing when they accept Jesus. I know that means Jesus is the real thing. People who are bound by guilt and fear are living free from that today because Jesus has changed them. People who were dirty inside are now made clean because Jesus has cleansed them. Listen, I will tell you, brothers and sisters, I've been dirty, and I've been clean. I'd rather be clean, and I've had a bad conscience, and I've had a good one. I'd rather have a good conscience. I've lived in fear, and I've lived in confidence. I'd rather live with confidence, and it's why the Apostle Paul could say, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it's still working all the way to 2017 and touching lives and changing lives and changing families. It's all because it still works today. Let me wrap it up the third point. I believe that Jesus is the only way, uh, is the only way because Satan clearly shows Jesus is the only way. You say, Satan? Absolutely. All over the world today, Satan is opposing Jesus Christ wherever he can. In spite of that, the greatest revival that the world has ever seen is taking place, in spite of Satan opposing. But his opposition can be fierce, whether it's through terrorists beheading Christian brothers and sisters in certain parts of the world or in America's universities and our schools. Christians are mocked, Christians are belittled, Christian belief is, is diminished like never before. And there is a reason for that. It's not that we have grown beyond our need for Jesus. It's because Satan fights against truth. You can believe almost any weird philosophy you want today and Satan will leave you alone. You can follow any kind of strange religious figure out their philosophy, and, and Satan will, will leave you alone, and people will applaud your open-mindedness. I mean, you'll be right along with the crowd. But try witnessing about Jesus, and you're going to be called narrow-minded and bigoted or worse. And it's because the God of this world, who's identified as Satan himself, has planted a lie in the hearts of unbelievers. The apostle Paul warned this would be the spirit of the world just before Jesus comes again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 tells us what the world is going to be like just before Jesus comes. It says, he, he's speaking of the Antichrist here, will completely fool those who are on their way to hell because they have said no to the truth They have refused to believe it and love it and let it save them. So God will allow them to believe lies with all of their hearts. You know, Satan never opposes a lie. He delights in lies. Jesus said of him in John 8, when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So Satan's target is, is never the lie or the liar. Satan's target is the truth. His target is those who believe the truth and those who worse live by the truth. But Jesus said in verse 47 of that chapter, anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the word of God. So let me ask you this morning, are you listening to God's word today or are you listening to the word of the enemy of your soul who is trying to trick you out of a saving relationship with God through Jesus. Now, ultimately, I said earlier, I cannot put Jesus under a microscope or the gospel message and prove to you that it is true. Because the only way that you can really know that what I'm telling you is true is to experience him yourself. In your heart you don't sign a dotted line somewhere and join a church that that's that has no eternal value it's when you make Jesus Savior and Lord of your life and you invite him to come and live inside which he will do by the way he'll live inside of you which means that you got to start living more carefully because you're taking him with you when you go where you go, when you say what you say, when you do what you do. But my point just simply is this. The only way you can know what I'm saying is true is by experiencing him. That's what happens to us spiritually When we give our lives and our hearts to Jesus, the soul that was separated from God is brought back into union with him. You're in union with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what didn't make sense to you before suddenly starts making sense. Have you ever in your life kind of all of a sudden like a light turned on and you say, oh, I get it. I'm not talking about spiritual things, but just anything in life even, you know? Oh, I understand now what my teacher was talking about. I under—I get it now. I understand now what what uh, that what I was reading. It's making sense to me. That's what I'm talking about here. What didn't make sense to you before suddenly starts making sense. The light turns on spiritually, and we know that we know that we know that we belong to God. That we are His property, and He is our Savior. We have found the path to the Lord. So the Apostle Paul says, and I'll just close with this, Romans 8, 16, the Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we really are God's children. Say, so how do I, how can I really know? You can't put it under a magnifying glass. Can't put it under a microscope. The Spirit witnesses that inside your heart and, and tells you and lets you know that you're a child of God. But here's the deal. before The Spirit can speak into your heart that you are God's child. He will first speak into your heart a word of conviction. You say, what's a word of conviction? A word of conviction is God telling you you're on the wrong path. The word of conviction is telling you that you're separated from God. The word of conviction is telling you you need to listen to this this pastor up here because he's telling you the truth. The word of conviction will challenge you, and people don't like it, you know, I don't want to, I don't like conviction, but conviction is your friend. Because when you accept the word of conviction, you can then say, what must I do to be saved? And the Lord will respond back to you. You give your life to Jesus Christ. Make him Savior and Lord. And the past that you've regretted is going to be forgiven and wiped clean. The memory of God will be deleted as far as your life in the past is concerned. He will not remember your sins from, against you again. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That is a powerful scripture because what that's telling you is there's, there's no distance to how far God is casting your sin away from you. If he had said as far as the north is from the south... We could measure that. We know where the North Pole is and we know where the South Pole is. It's measurable. But isn't it interesting that at a time when the world thought, when everybody thought the world was flat, that God in his sovereign, authentic word said as far as the east is from the west. How far is it from the east to the west? You can't measure it. And what God is telling you is that as far as infinity is, that's how far I will remove your your sins from you and I'll make you my child and I'll put you on a path to God and to heaven and you'll start finding what you never knew was possible. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.